Hey guys, how's it going? My name is Joseph Fordham and this is NPLH In Conversation With, the football podcast that isn't about football, brought to you by NPLH Studio. NPLH is more than a podcast. Once you've hit the follow button, visit nplhmag.com to enjoy online reads, subscribe to our newsletter and browse our collection of magazines, prints and apparel. On to the show. Hello. I'm Joe Fordham and you're listening to NPLH In Conversation With, the podcast where I speak to interesting and influential people from within the football landscape, in my opinion anyway. In this episode, I speak with former US midfielder turned entrepreneur, Carl Martino. I first spoke with Carl in the early stages of 2020 for issue seven of NPLH magazine, where we discussed, among other things, the Over Under Initiative, which is a non-profit organization founded by Kyle dedicated to improving access to sport in urban neighbourhoods. This time around, we discussed the early setbacks met by the Over-Under initiative brought about by the global pandemic. You couldn't have picked a worse time to become an entrepreneur when all of your ideas, concepts and enterprises have to do with getting human beings together. And the underlying unrelenting motivation to transforming the grassroots landscape in the US. Yeah, I would say that that Street FC and and Golfer and Over Under um, are, are really just instruments to return uh, the 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 um, the most authentic and enjoyable version of playing I ever felt. I hope you enjoy. Yo. Yes, Carl, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? Wow, that's the first that's the first time that technically this laptop has worked on its first try. That <laughs> bodes well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how you doing? I'm good, man. Yeah, just uh my my kids got sick and I thought I got through it, but uh I just caught, caught kind of like a 24-hour thing, but I'm feeling a lot better today. Powering through. Whatever's in that cup's probably helping, is it? Yes. Yes, it's turning <laughs> my brain on. That's for sure. <laughs> Digging the hat there as well. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. Mate, you're yeah, hiding that, that beautiful wild. head of hair you got. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's not looking beautiful this morning. That's for sure. Oh, hold on one second. Sorry. I can still, I can still hear you, though, so you're all good. It's been like three years since we first spoke. I know, I know. You know, someone showed me the other day, someone showed me the, uh, the Forbes wrote an article right after the election, basically just listing all of my insane promises and, and it's wild to, to look up like four years later and they all exist. <laughs> I guess, yeah, um, I've got no real structure for this chat other than um, just to catch up on what's been happening since then, I guess. Yeah, cool. So yeah, we, we first spoke, I think yeah, February or maybe January, 2020 and over under was like very much in its infancy, I think. And I've seen yeah. since then that there's been a lot of progress on that front. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, the, the, the wild thing is you couldn't have picked a worse time to become an entrepreneur when all of your ideas, concepts, and enterprises have to do with getting human beings together. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that was it's not, not a good time to start in real life experience building. 
Um, so, you know, what's wild is like over under has had such an incredibly difficult journey. And, and honestly, we've learned so much because like, um, you know, the, the, the pandemic just has, has exacerbated and put a tremendous focus on how bad this access to sport problem was ahead of it. You know, the communities impacted most by the pandemic were those that, that, um, you know, sports equity was discriminated against beforehand. And now, you know, the need for these facilities, the need for hyper-local spontaneous sports sampling is, is the highest it's ever been, but the ability to sample sport, the ability to find facilities to, to play it on as, you know, has, has never been harder. So I guess, you know, the good thing for over under is we, you know, while the pandemic wouldn't let us go out there and do what we promised, it gave us a lot of time to spend with municipalities and you know, groups with the most red tape, but groups that, um, you know, are, are the gatekeepers to the largest inventory of facilities, right? And those facilities tend to be the facilities closest to at-risk communities where these kids have no school programs, have no ability to get to fields that were built, have no, um, you know, ha- are not in a, in a socioeconomic situation to pay what it costs to get into sport. Yeah, the, the, the good part was like the lobbying necessary and the banging your head against the wall in these meetings, having people say, well, what do you mean? A basketball court is just a basketball court. You know, I, I, I guess um, it allowed us to focus on assuaging, you know, intellectual concerns, you know, and and, and like construct um, and honestly, like get get the prototype ready in the background and just be testing it and, and trying to get it to fail and iterating. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess my dad has this amazing saying, if you can't fix it, feature it. You know, the, the, the pandemic allowed us to, I, I think, um, like really, really drill down on the like the. Really, the idea of what this can unlock um, and so now that we can actually go do this, you know, now that the courts are the proof on the concrete, uh, we, we've, we've noticed that our life is a lot easier when you can just go, yeah, like, like that right over there. What, what did it look like that getting that first court installed? So, um, it, well, there, there's been, you know, the first ever, ever court was actually in Grand Rapids with our, um, you know, like our sixth prototype, but our first prototype we actually tested in public. And that was back in, and, um, you know, the first time I ever unveiled golfer was actually at the coaches convention in Chicago many years back. And that, that model was like a, you know, a folding face down model that we had, but like my dream initially, and I guess my, my ambition for the design that I'd come up with and the manufacturers keeper goals, this incredible sports equipment company in Milwaukee that, you know, sat with me through the three-year process of like my insanity of making models and drawing things and being like, like this. And they're like, Kyle, you're not an engineer. Like, this is, this is crazy. Um, you know, I wanted it to be truly accessible in public. So meaning not locked up, you know, anyone can come up and use it. Um, I wanted the net to be pre-attached, right? Design gets a lot easier when you, you know, you bring in the net afterwards. And the last was that a four-year-old could put this up and down, 
And so that that last one, the first one we ever installed, you know, there was no way a, a young kid could put that model up and down. It was going to need the oversight or the or the assistance of, you know, not adults but older kids. And so I'm at the airport one day with the handle of my suitcase, just like really discouraged. Even though everyone else was like, we installed it, it works, and everyone loves it. I'm just like, no, because like you know, a little kid can't just go over and flip this thing up. So I'm like at the airport with a handle of my suitcase, you know, and, and just going, you know, we're, we're not getting this right. There's a model we're not thinking of. There's a way to do this. And I jumped, I go, oh my God. They're like, oh, Kyle, are you all right? And I was like, I got to call you back. And um, yeah, like that was the day I came up with that, you know, the, the model that you see now, this telescoping system, which I, I, I can't believe I was able to get patented because it's, it's basically just ancient technology. It's how elevators used to go up. It's how windows used to be put up and down. It's just a you know, a, a, a counterweight system. So everyone's like, you know, where are the, where are the gas springs and the hydraulics? And like, where do you plug it in? Where's the electricity? And I'm like, you know, this is like hundreds of years ago technology. So yeah, that, that was the big aha moment because we got rid of so, so much, um, so many mechanisms, so many moving parts. It simplified the system. And the big test was the first court we ever installed in public is in Bridgeport, Connecticut, right down the street from where I grew up. And, um, the first ever field test was my four-year-old major putting putting the goal up and down. So, like for me, that was the moment where I where I achieved the trifecta of th- this is a scalable um, public solution. You know, the the liability and the and the possible injury is actually less than a freestanding goal. Um, the net's attached, and in under two minutes, my four-year-old can turn you know a a basketball court or blacktop into a street hockey or street soccer court. So. Yeah, that 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 was the big moment. And so after demonstrating that first location, I mean that that was the real big piece that unlocked it seems such a, an abstract idea to people before that. And then it's just, you know, people just go, Oh, well, yeah, of course. And so, man, I I'm, and now it's kind of hard to keep up. I think we just went into our tenth city um last week. That's uh yeah, like a pretty rapid rise i guess after a long period of being able to do nothing though right so you're playing catch up yeah i was about to say it feels rap it's gonna feel very rapid to everyone now i'll tell you to me it, it feels like this has taken a lifetime to get to this point yeah you're over it now you're like oh yeah another yeah, another call whatever <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm done with i've got another idea now yeah go for go forth and take this yeah, yeah i've got to move, i've got to move on to <laughs> something else how much was your four-year-old like your own were your own kids in mind when you were creating this um not to kind of diminish from the the joy and role of, of parenthood, but how handy was it having <laughs> that resource on hand to make this this yeah, venture I mean, work? It was it was cool. It was cool to uh to have that immediate feedback loop, right? To have have, you know, th- these young kids. Um and the first thing too is I didn't tell them how to do it. That was fun to watch to see if like it was intuitive intuitive enough for you know, for a six and a, and a, and a eight year old to be able to go and, and put up. Um, so, you know, initially, um, that, that was a fun and exciting part. Also their enthusiasm and their energy kind of, you know, always, always drive me along, but really I would say like the, the part that in terms of kids using it, that really, um, you know, it, it put tears in my eyes when I, when I, um, watched it happen in real time. We did a court up in the Bronx and it's a predominantly West African community. Um, and, you know, a lot of these immigrant refugee communities, you know, some of them have come 
come over in just the, the most unthinkable circumstances, you know, ripped away from family or, or escaping uh, very, very scary scenarios. And, and football was such a reprieve, right? It was, it was this incredible um, escape and empowerment for them in the countries they came from, you know, the number one, their, their number one pastime, the number one hobby, and, and also the thing that was there for them to, to, to support them and, and their mental health and, and their belief in themselves. And really just sometimes you just got to go and be a kid. And then to see these kids come over here and have no access to that game was just devastating. So I had heard some of these stories and I'd met with some of these families. And when we went back, my, my director, Josh Dean, was like, you've, you've got to come back and see what's going on at the court. And it started with um, this amazing coach, Johan, or, um, or Rohan, who um, works with Street Soccer USA, who's a phenomenal nonprofit that runs programs for inner city kids to bring them bring them soccer as a social enterprise and empowerment instrument. You know, they, they just started showing up with a ball, you know, one and two coaches, you know, a couple of people. And then, you know, the court, the cool part about it is all of these and, and up at Claremont Village where this court is in the Bronx, you know, it's 15 buildings and, and there's four of them that overlook the court. So I mean, you're, you're talking about thousands of kids that can look out and see this court. So they started leaving the lights on later and later and kids would just look out from their windows and one would come, you know, three would come, five would come, 12 would come. And, you know, you have a belief and you feel that something's going to happen, but, but until you watch it happen in real time, like watching these kids just take over and own the court and have it be theirs, uh, that, that was an exciting moment. But the, the moment that really brought, brought, um, you know, that had my eyes watering up was, um, you know, the, these kids haven't met the other kids in the community, you know, the basketball kids and the skateboard kids. They, they didn't have that social lubricant. They didn't have that conduit that brought them and gave them also a community of kids that they know and that they can go be a kid with. And so one day we showed up and on one side of the court, and I'd never even thought of this, but it's so obvious. On one side of the court, they were playing half court basketball. And, um, and the kids, instead of waiting for the whole court, just put one of the goals up on the other half and played half court soccer. And like that day, I was like, holy shit, like, of, of course you can play half court soccer. Like, of course that works. But the cool part was the ball, the basketball going down that way and the soccer ball going down that way. And just watching these two, you know, cultures of kids that were not connecting in the building start laughing at each other. You know, the kid with the big high top, like kicks the ball, shoe flies off, you know, that the power of that of that interaction and now also introducing soccer to these American kids that never thought it was part of their culture or their world and having them afterwards stick behind and try to play soccer and having some of these West African kids that never played basketball. It was, it was just, it was just that, that was our theory that that could happen. So to watch it like play out in person was just really powerful. Yeah. How does that feel when you've, you've been so close to something for so many years uh, and you've let it out in the wild now and you see it, in action, but those that are using it in ways that you've just described, uh, they, like, they don't know where this idea has come from. It's something that's arrived where they live and they're making full use of it. Um, I guess, does it feel like you've, you've let something go? Like you've sent something like a, you sent a kid off to college kind of thing. And, and I guess and <laughs> what does, does ego come into play at any point where you're thinking, oh, they've got no idea that this started as a, a sketch on, on a pad for me and all these little models and that? And, or does it kind of feel quite satisfying that you've just created that 
helped form that community or that that lubricant social lubricant and you just disappear into the shadows and go and spread that elsewhere yeah so it's a really interesting question you know i i definitely suffer from imposter syndrome you know i i definitely have an internal voice and i think it's one of the things that drives me so hard that thinks everyone's going to find out I'm a fraud. You know, it's it's not, you know, you're not good enough. It's not good enough. And so I would say like, it's the opposite of ego. Like it, it's, it's like fear that people are going to see what I believe and see what I've been up to and just think not only is this a, a, a bad idea, but it, it it's not going to work. And, and to, you know, to watch, the goals go up and it very quickly turns into they mock them. You know, they're trying to climb them and ride them. And like, you know, it's just all, all of a sudden all of this hard work, you know, this 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 uh, this uh, imposter syndrome and, and bias I have against my my ability to do things like this will be confirmed by these kids are going to be like, yeah, this is this is garbage. We're not going to use this. So I would say the cool part is when you say walk away, like my insecurity um, you know, the, the, the powerful moment was the belief that it gives me in myself is really just the the permission to walk away and have it not be connected to me anymore. Right. Like is to go like, oh, man, th- th- this works. And uh, I would say the only ego I have is the dream I have one day is to be walking down the street and to see them all over the place. And and have apps and and kind of like no one knows where tic tac toe came from. Like have people have no idea, right? Like it, it's just it's a part of of like social property. People just accept that this thing exists. Like no no one goes like, well, who invented the basketball hoop, right? Like we we have these all over the place. So like that's the dream I have is and it felt like that where I was there and, and none of the kids had any idea that I designed and built that goal. The only cool part to them was I could I could play soccer and and get in the game with them, right? And so like, yeah, I, I would say the cool thing on unlock for me is to not be the person that has to drive this and the inventor and like have all of these titles and all this pressure. The cool part was I got to just be a kid again, you know, with gray hair and not as fast, but I got to just roll out and play how I how I played growing up. And like, what's so funny is I used to in my house. I used to take apart the broom and take stools from the kitchen and put the broom on top of the stools and take a blanket and fold it over the go- and, and so at, in my house I was the goal designer but I only did that cuz I I idolized my brothers and I just wanted to to you know, have something they wanted to do with me so anytime I would set up you know the court in the house we would all play you know together so um you know, it's just it, it, the the there's a lot of pieces of what I had and what I wanted as a child that are sort of embedded in in this mission. So like it kind of rather than it makes me feel like the successful old like adult and you did it, Kyle, more so it's like, you know, the, the seven, eight, nine year old in me. It's like, yeah, man, remember how fun that was back then to just turn anything into a soccer court and play for hours? Does that come, do you think, from like revisiting that seven, eight, nine-year-old boy and remembering how cool it was to do those things, does that come from uh, like losing that fun side at some point in adulthood where like life gets in the way and, yeah. and you fall into the, the traps that we all do, I guess? Has it been a conscious pursuit of that youth? Yeah, I would say that that Street FC and, and Goal for an Over Under – um, are really just instruments to return uh, the 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 um, 
the most authentic and enjoyable version of playing I ever felt. And so, um, you know, I, I fell out of love with soccer, watching it, playing it, talking about it. I, I had a career ending injury and left the game at 28. I didn't watch it. I didn't talk about it. I didn't kick a ball for, for a few years after I stopped playing. So, you know, um, the, those two, those two companies or the, the, those, those two projects at the root of them are, 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 my adult's gift to the seven, eight-year-old me to, to allow myself to go back and love the game like that and access it like that again. And the cool part about that, that selfishness is, um, you know, I, I'm in, in trying to give uh, my seven, eight-year-old self the, the love I had for the game and the way I accessed it. I'm I'm designing products that, that can scale and offer that for the millions of kids that have forget fallen out of love with playing it, which is happening at a younger and younger age. Never fell in love with doing it. Yeah, where does this? Um, where do you think this comes from within you? Like this? Uh, well, I guess it's a selflessness, isn't it? It's uh, wanting, people, yeah, wanting people to enjoy what you enjoy, and working so ty- tirelessly um in your own life to provide something for people that you don't know in parts of the country that you you know you'll never meet these people what is i guess at the root of that is like a the the common thread there is like community right but on a grander scale so what what is it that you think makes community important to you is that like a a recurring theme for your life yeah, well, I mean, I've talked publicly a lot about suffering with depression and having mental health um, challenges that soccer was the, the number one support that I had in in living a healthy life with those issues. And so when I didn't realize it, but when soccer was gone, my mental health challenges became more uh, in the in the foreground and, beca- and became something that did interrupt my ability to live a healthy life. So you know, what's interesting is, you know, community to me, and I think soccer is the greatest conduit on the planet to deliver it. It's really just to make you feel less alone and uh, to make to make you, um, you know, to lessen the stakes of what it what it means to be an individual moving through the world. Right. To know that you have a support system and to know that others look like you, feel like you, uh, think like you, sound like you and struggle like you. It just it just makes you feel less isolated and less worried that there's something that you can't overcome. And so, you know, I I, I look at um, I look at sport as as just a community delivery device, right? And um, I would say that when you say selflessness, I, I actually think it's the opposite. I, I think the root of all of this is is selfishness. You know, I, I knowing someone else likes soccer makes me happy because I love it so much. Right. So it's like they're at the root of all of this drive to have people fall in love with and have access to something has been so important in my life. You know, there there are selfish reasons, right? It's like the more people that play soccer, the better the chances I get in a game, right? There's a game going on that I can play in. The more people that play soccer, like the better chance our women have to keep winning world cups and our men have to win a world cup. Like, the 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 more the better the chances that our women win world cups and our men win world cups the bigger the investment in 
all of the things that bring people into the sport. Of, so it's like there, there is a little bit of a mustache twisting like Trojan horse behind everything I'm doing, which is you, you, you the problem with this country is we design so many of these solutions from the top down and like paying a national team coach seven million dollars rather than three million dollars in hopes that our men would win a World Cup is such a terrible use of that money in terms of trying to fix the problem we have of uh, lack of access and lack of stickiness in and being a part of the community of soccer in this country. You can't solve a cultural problem from the top down. So, you know, that, that for me, like I want our men to win a world cup while, while we're alive. And, and I ostensibly ran for us soccer president to try and help move the needle in that direction. And in reality, like, you know, Cindy Parlo Cohn is the president of us soccer right now. And I, I think very highly of her, you know, there's not a lot she can do in that position to move the needle much. Really, like it, it's it's the enormous landscape outside of the pearly gates of the Federation that, um, you know, the biggest impact can be made with the smallest investment. Right. Lo- there's low cost, high impact ways to, um, you know, creating culture is very difficult. And I'm not talking about creating it. I'm talking about it exists and we know it exists. Right. We're, we're a very multicultural country where the heritage of people that call themselves American or or um, or, or or align with another uh, heritage or nationality, a lot of them come from countries where soccer is is a very important and foundational piece to that heritage. So, like, it's there. You know, we we, we know that we are a a soccer nation. We we know that we have a culture of soccer. We've just done a really poor job of showcasing and and elevating and highlighting what those cultures are. We've turned the culture of the game into this country into a country club, right? Like soccer in the U.S. is big fields, referees and jerseys and shin guards and tournaments and identification and college and orange slices. It's like it's all these things that like turn it into a a, a very um, competitive, a very exclusive and a very difficult thing to access and like that is such a small percentage of what like the culture of soccer is in our country. And so, you know, I, I'm not creating culture. I, I'm just going to the the cultures I accessed the game through when I was young and seeing where they still exist or what's happened to some of them that that that's not the way that a kid like me is accessing the game anymore. I guess what this is doing, what Over Under is doing is is I guess, yeah, opening the doors for these these communities, these pockets. To, occur, to come back up to the surface and start, I guess, growing. Well, and, and you know, most importantly, most importantly, um, I'm not naive to think that we're going to be able to move back to and return to the streetlights go on and you go home world, right? Like that, that world before cell phones and that world where, you know, parents would let their, their seven to 17 year old just take off and, and go, go interact with the world and come back. Yeah, you know, that 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 world's gone for a lot of reasons. Um, for me, I'm trying to nudge the idea of that world back into the paradigm by saying, "Listen, kids aren't going to maybe put sweatshirts down and play to sweatshirts like we did, but man, if they've got this incredible space to go do it, right? If we went through all this trouble to design the sweatshirts that feel like the goal at Wembley, 
It's like if we if we do these things, like I think there's little ingredients like that that nudge kids back into that world. And I would say one of the biggest theories I have is um, any design that forces a kid to pick one sport at one location is 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 ultimately in the wrong run going to be unsuccessful. I mean, it, it's a very expensive and zero sum solution. So for me, like I, I very much, if my path is to get kids to play soccer for the rest of their lives, I now very much think about how can I put soccer as an option next to the other things these kids should be doing uh, sport wise. Right. So like the first one I start with is every kid in this country should play basketball and soccer as long as they possibly can. And and if, if you can say, you know, street hockey and handball and, and, and some of these other things, like, great. But like, man, if I can only accomplish that kids access those two sports in a spontaneous way up through their teenage years, I, I, I know for a fact that that will move the, the development and the access and the enjoyment and the cultural amplification part of the game further than anything else. Is this... Um, going back to the what you running for the U.S. Soccer Federation presidency, do you think that you're having more of an impact now? Do you ever have these kind of sliding doors moments where you look back and think, "Oh, if I'd have won that, my life would be this way"? Or are you making more change, meaningful change now? Do you think? I think about it daily, um, and I actually laughed. I was talking with Cindy Parlo Cohn recently, and I laughed and said, "Yeah, thank God I lost." And there's two reasons. One is I don't think my type of personality is very diplomatic. You know, I, I'm a, I, I am, I'm not, I'm not a provocative or antagonistic person because I, I'm, I'm out to upset and disrupt. I, I, I'm just an impatient person, and if I can't get help, I'm just going to do it. And so, I don't think I would have been successful in my inability to, to be diplomatic at the degree you need to to be successful in that role. And I think Cindy's going to do an amazing job in that she's, 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 um, she, she, you know, she's obdurate, she's smart, she's driven, but you know, she's patient and she's diplomatic. So that's one reason that it wouldn't have worked. The other reason is all, all the things I would have wanted to accomplish. I, I don't think U S soccer is designed to, to unlock and, and launch those things. And so, you know, n- nothing I've created would exist today if if I was U.S. soccer president, and, and I think I would have fatigued and gotten very, I, I think I would have gotten very cynical and not have moved into being an entrepreneur that believed I could start and, and scale things. So you wouldn't class yourself as a disruptor. Do you think there's elements of that to you, though? I'm sure I'm sure people think I am, but but it's funny. Like that, that's what shocks me so much is that people think the things I'm designing. Um, when you really look at them, I've intentionally designed things that are in lanes that almost no one's in. You know, th- there is no pickup soccer company out there only playing on hardscape. I mean, we're the only we're the only company out there trying to be millions of players only on concrete. Like um, over under, we could have started with private schools and private locations, and we, we'd be in fifty cities right now. But I decided. Man, no one has been able to convince Parks and Rec this has to become a public option. So in, in my mind, I'm not disrupting anything that exists or, or, or any groups that are making progress. But it's funny, a lot of these groups look at me or, or, or some of the heads of these groups look at me as a disruptor and a challenger. And, and it just baffles me that they, they see it that way. When in reality, I, I live to complement the great work that a lot of these groups are doing. 
and decided not to challenge them in their space. I, I challenged to complement what they're doing by finding, a, in my opinion, a, 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 a interesting and a better way to do it from the lens of I'm a very unique person that's played at every single level of the game in this country. And, um, you know, that that's an advantage I have when I'm also, you know, the creative director, the inventor, the designer, the funder. So like I have the luxury that they don't have and that I'm not plugged into any system that I'm accountable for outside of anyone's willingness to support my efforts to go where I'm already going to go anyway. Going back to those, all those titles you just listed there, it's probably a good segue. Um, it always seems like you're up to something uh, on social media. If it's not over under, it's street. If it's not street, it's football cafe. You keep yourself very, very busy. Um, being a dad of a few kids now, which is a job in itself. Um, how do you find balance between all of these things? And also more importantly, how do you find, or do you find the time and the space to incorporate like self-care into that? So the, the, the question comes at the perfect time to answer it. I would say historically, I've been really bad at this. You know, um, I, I think professional athletes become professional athletes because they suck at balancing the rest of their life. They, they get such tunnel vision towards being in very short circles with feedback to themselves to be better than yesterday. Um, and it makes some impossible people to be around, right? Because we're, we're either like, we're either in our in our ecstasy and we're, we're either manic because we were great today or, or we've destroyed and ripped ourselves down because we weren't. And we, we can't see yesterday and we can't see tomorrow. We, we just live in these like, ugh. It's, it's kind of the worst part of being present because you just, you just live every single kick of the ball. And so that made me a very difficult person to be around for a very long time because I, I was just so tethered to my own reality of I need to be the best at something today. So um, today is a perfect example of I woke up and meditated. I woke up and did a workout session with, um, you know, Steve Nash has this amazing new company called Block Training and my lower back has gotten so bad, I'm almost not playing much anymore. So I, I woke up and worked on my mind. I moved my body a little bit. I'm having a, a conversation with you about uh, things that I love and things I'm trying to do. And in 30 minutes, I've got to leave to go pick up my kids to take them on spring break alone, which is much harder than any of my companies. So I'm getting on a plane with a, an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and a three-year-old to go see their grandparents and their cousins and my, my siblings. Um, and next week, I'm going to try. But next week, I'm, I'm not available to, to all of my all of my incredible uh, employees and partners and, and, uh, and, and mentors and friends that are in this sort of entrepreneurial building world. I, I've told them, you know, I'm, I'm checking out cause I'm going to be with my kids. That that's, um, that's something I haven't gotten great at. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how, you know, how I, what, what is the successful way that when dad is on, Dad is here and we see dad. Dad's not thinking about the 20 other things that he's up to and he wants to be doing. So, you know, that's 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 very much a work in in progress. Um, you know, but the other side of this is I had a very, um, very interesting, very creative, very smart dad who um, wasn't around a ton when I was little. And um, 
you know, I think there's obviously a balance to this, but I, I, I am who I am and, and having modeled for me a drive, uh, a, a, a desire, a, um, an ability to affect and create and inspire. And so, you know, I, I want my kids to see, uh, I don't want them to think that they are up against those things. And, and it's a battle for, they've got to convince dad not to be doing that and to be spending time with them. You know, that's why I try to include them in so much of what I'm doing. I brought my kids to football cafe to watch some of the games. I, you know, I bring them to the test sites where I'm doing the goals. You know, I, I want them to aspire to, to find the balance in their life where, you know, should they find a passion? Should they find an interest? Should they find an aptitude? Like, you know, use that to see how many other people's lives you can affect with that. And sometimes that means, you know, sh- sharing uh, yourself with uh, with other people that, you know, it's hard for your kids to understand when they get so much time. Yeah, I guess being of service is is also a great way of of, um, of like gaining a sense of, of worth within within your community, isn't it, as well? And I guess showing your kids that, that um creating something and, and helping people is uh, I guess a more f- foolproof way of achieving that than um, acting in a way to just seek validation from others I guess but by creating something and helping you can you can become a I guess um, like a uh, what's the word not like a focal point of your community but you can become rooted in it and of value to to people around you by being of service is that a conscious thought yeah i mean here it starts all for all of us um everyone should wake up during the day thinking um is there another person's life i can impact in a positive way now this answer this practice has to start with taking care of yourself first right a lot of times people do that outwardly hoping it makes themselves feel better. So, you know, it kind of starts with take care of yourself. You know, you're the person you can impact in a positive way tomorrow. The next is, are you going to share your life with someone, right? So it's like, you know, that, that's the next big one. Can, can I impact um, the, the, the person that I see most regularly in a positive way? Obviously, deciding to have kids becomes an extension of that. So, yeah, I, I just look at What's cool is whether it's five kids on that court in the Bronx or 500,000 kids across the country, I, I, I just I look at the five kids in the Bronx as being enough and, and being, you know, what, what I want to show my kids and why I involve them in that rather than, you know, hey, you have too many toys. Let's take a toy and drop it down off at a place for kids you'll never see and, and never meet. And, and we won't really connect that whole loop of you understanding you know, what, what community means and what what um, incredible privilege you, you have as a kid and how sport is this amazing thing that can connect a lot of that. And so like, yeah, for my kids, they don't need to know or they don't need to aspire to impact in a positive way. The 500,000 kids that hopefully one day are impacted by this solution. But it's 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 cool and it's good enough for me to have them see those five to 10 kids that were on the court that day and and see their smiles and make the connection of like oh when dad was gone testing these things like oh it was to build this because i play soccer in a in a, in a team with jerseys and a coach and all that stuff and in the backyard with my dad 
this is their, this is what they have. Like they have soccer like this and dad's hard work, just put a goal um, in, in their backyard for them. I watched in real time, those dots connect for my kids. And so, um, you know, I, I don't think it's to show how many people you can impact. I think it's more to show, you know, it, it doesn't, it just has to be at least, you know, one, other, I mean, just aspire to have it at least be one other person on any given day. You're, you're making their life a little bit better based on the decisions you've made or, 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 or the, um, you know, the things that you can bring to the table. Given all of what you've created over the past few years and, and what you've been through as you touched on with your, your personal struggles, what, what's been the biggest learning for you in that time about yourself and other people in general? I would say the, 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 biggest, the biggest thing I've learned is I, I made the mistake of thinking and conflating my success to a competitive drive that more often than not made me tough to be around and not like myself all that much. I, I, I think I made a mistake of thinking like that, those ingredients on how to be driven, how to be competitive, the, the ingredients that also led to me not being happy with myself, never being satiated and being tough to relate to and connect with, and also being uh, not very thoughtful of others. I, I, that was, that's the big re, the, the realization I've made is that like the caricature that was created, you know, the professional athlete that was created out of those ingredients is actually not a person. You know, it's, it's, it's really more so it was an idea um, that, that I, I think actually encapsulates a lot of the things that I don't like about myself and, I kind of used that character to shield myself from feeling bad about that or like believed I was this kind of thing that I had created. And so like what I've, what I've, you know, been able to disconnect is um, I, I can, I can have two, two beliefs at the same time. One is that this, this thing I created, I I'm so, I feel, I'm so proud of it. I, I'm, I, I was so incredible. How lucky was I that I got to, enjoy life that way and play a game for a living and represent my country that all of that I can actually hold love and enjoy and separate it from all the people that were hurt and all the people that were alienated and all the times that I didn't like what I had to do or what I thought I had to do to be that successful. And so once I detach that, now I can apply the ingredients that I have, the hardwiring I have that led to that discipline, that creativity, that drive, that desire to connect with others around common goals. The positive side of the ingredients of being that professional athlete is actually at, at its core who I am as a person. And, and like that's been the biggest thing of I can see when I bring this asshole competitive athlete side of me to my normal life and it and it alienates and it makes me feel bad and it, it sends me down a path. I can I have the awareness now of seeing when that moment happens. I don't I don't have the control of always being able to catch it before it happens, but I can see that that's actually not who I am. It's kind of this thing I've created to, you know, to protect um, you know, the, the emotions of what it feels like to be who I am. Now, now I, I, I'm working on through mindfulness and, and awareness and, and, you know, self-love, um, understanding and, and kind of laughing off when I have thoughts and reactions to be that person and being able to separate, hey, Kyle, 
uh, you weren't successful because you did that. You weren't successful because you said that. You weren't successful because you went that route. Remember, like all, all of this is a byproduct of the foundational ingredients that made you successful. And like those that are connected with the things that also made you feel fulfilled and lovable and kind and thoughtful, like the, the, that, that path also leads to success and, and, you know, believe it when it happens, you know, as opposed to continue, continually trying to uh, tie those outcomes back to it was because I was this, you know, so like that, that I know that seems kind of abstract, but it, it, it's really just trying to um, untether myself from a character I created to, 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 to compartmentalize who I actually am and what I feel from who I created. And, and it's, and it's like indefatigable drive towards things. It's interesting. A lot of what you said there, have you read the courage to be disliked by any chance? No. Uh, it basically talks about the, it touches on a lot of what you just said and the stories we tell ourselves that either convince us why we can or cannot do something or why we did or did not do something. And it's a, it's like a security blanket of some kind. It's not trying something or not doing something because of a narrative in your head. And it's, oh, uh, wow. it's an excuse almost. Um, and it's all, it all stems That's from the really philosophy of a guy called Albert Adler or Alfred Adler. Sorry. And yeah, it's uh, aligns with a lot of what you've said there. And it's um, accepting what you said there. A lot of it, touches on a bit of self-acceptance and rather than trying to change those aspects of yourself that you described you're harnessing it when you say that i think professional athletes have this weird thing where it's kind of the opposite of that where like um the, the 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 child in us the scared person that um that those voices speak to I feel like for professional athletes, they've created this hold my beer kid. I've got this thing. Like, listen, I'll take care of this. And they've created something that is like the, the, the hero that they wish was there to combat the bully, to combat the fear, to combat. And they're, they're so good at, and I think Michael Jordan, if you really look into it is the master at creating a, a um, suspending disbelief and creating a fantasy world and putting a hero out to 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 play the game and to fight the fight. So I, I you know I I kind of maybe this is just me in my own world. I feel like I created a well, you know what? I'm not going to try for this team, but I'm because I'm not going to make it. I've got to like listen, kid. Like I, I you know hold, hold my beer. I got this. Like you know I'm going to make this team for you. All right, and I'm going to give you the jersey when I make it. Like go go sit over there. I'll take I'll take care of this. You know you like you just you almost create an alter ego. Um, and I think the tough part, yeah, the tough part for athletes is they create something they begin to identify with, and then all of a sudden, at a very important and and crucial point in their life, in their late twenties, early thirties. Um, the, the application and the need for that is, is removed overnight. And then they struggle with an identity crisis because they're really not this thing they created. And so now all of a sudden they're walking through life with the like, Hey, hold my beer kid becomes the, like, we get rid of the kid part was us. Like the thing that this, this, this character we created was, was needed for has now completely hijacked the scenario and is the kid, right? And it's like, I feel like that's the hard thing professional athletes struggle with is you're so detached from the first moment you needed to create this thing that you forgot this thing's not you. 
And now when you have to go through life and like banal, and, and I don't mean this to, to condescend, but like, and kind of like zero stakes of like, you know, you got to go in, whether it's to do a job or whether it's to interact with someone, whether it's to just get a, get a coffee, you know, the fact that like none of the decisions you're making that day have stakes that like this, this thing you created is needed for, I think is why a lot of, of, of ex-athletes like struggle so much with anxiety and depression and, and, and so, so many issues. Yeah. And I guess all of a sudden no one's clapping for you, right? Which you, and you spend, you spend yeah. a career receiving praise yeah. for your actions. Yeah. And you also created, you also created a race car that got retired and like driving PCH, like to just cruise and and enjoy the day with friends when you have like a formula one car that's not needed is like such a weird, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's, it's hard to just like cruise the streets and relax when like you have to drive a formula one car everywhere. You seem like a man who's very happy with where he is in his life as the result of a lot of hard work and and self-reflection. Well, I'm I'm a, I'm someone that knows I could, how and uh, that it's possible to live a healthy and happy life. I've figured out ways to do it. Uh, um, I'm I'm nowhere near satisfied with myself or the happiest version of myself. I, I just have optimism that I I know the path there. You know, r- rather than the cynicism or, or the fear, the skepticism that I think depression can can install in your mindset, which is it never gets better. You know, like the sun's never going to come out. I like I, I, I'm this never gets better. So like that, that's the cool part about the, the phase I'm in now is um, I'm far from perfect. But I, I, I know um, I, I know I'm I'm good enough and I know how to feel better. Like I, I, I know what it takes. Yeah. And that's half the battle one. Just knowing there is that pathway there and knowing you've got the tools in your in your toolbox to call upon for, yeah. for those things that you've collected along the way. Um, Cole, I really appreciate yeah. you speaking with me today, mate. Um, yeah, it's man. been fascinating, uh, it's great interesting, and yeah, have a great weekend with the family. No, I appreciate that. It was a good convo. Yeah, really enjoyed that, mate. Thank you, and I uh, really look forward to seeing what's next. Yeah, thanks, man. Thanks for the support. Take care. See you, buddy. Bye, mate. Bye. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, or even if you didn't, please forward on to a friend. Uh, if you haven't already, hit the follow button. And keep an eye out for more content from MPLH on Twitter and Instagram via at MPLHMag. See you next time. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Don't forget to hit the follow button and I'll see you next time.